This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, the business station. My name is Rich Bradbury. This is Matt Splained. Who will we be in the metaverse? Obviously an avatar, but what will that avatar mean for the person in the real world? Has digital technology already eroded our identities? Matt, what's up? I mean, are you having some kind of identity crisis recently? I mean, it certainly seems that way. You know, we we talk about identity a lot on this show, but usually it's from the perspective of things like privacy and identity theft. So today I wanted to look at it from, you know, a slightly different perspective. And just to uh, digress for a minute, I actually started working on this show a few weeks ago, and we've had to do reruns for the last uh, couple of spots because, you know, I finally caught COVID-19. You might be able to hear that lovely rattle that it's left in my voice. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, despite all my protections, it managed to penetrate my uh, quantum uh, fortress. And I have to say, you know, even though I wasn't in any danger at any point, it really isn't a walk in the park. You know, it's not like flu. And I'm vaxxed, mm. I'm boosted, and it still knocked me out. You know, I'm, I'm still feeling it now. My chest's congested. My energy levels are, are non-existent. You know, some people think it's a joke. Some people think it isn't real. It, it's mm. neither of those things. And I hate to think what would or could have happened if I had been vaccine hesitant or vaccine skeptic. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you are still on the fence, I would suggest you make that appointment. Check with your GP if you've got health conditions that you think might, you know, prevent you from getting the vaccine. But we're seeing the emergence of these strains that are spreading a lot more easily and can actually reinfect people who have already had the virus. So Mm -hmm. even though we are going to that endemic phase, you know, do what's sensible to to look after yourself. But Mm. yes, you know, back to identity. Uh, I obviously have had a, a... plenty of time to think about who and what I am over the past couple of weeks. Yeah, and you mentioned that you were looking at it from a different angle. Yeah, so we're looking into the metaverse again, as you kind of mentioned before, and what the emergence of those technologies might mean for the people that, you know, we are and the people that we become. So the idea that uh, in the uh, the metaverse we have this avatar identity – but mm-hmm. this identity it could actually become the, the primary thing that defines us if the metaverse becomes this place where we go to work, where we shop, where we socialize, a place where we go for entertainment. What actually happens to our real-world identity when that digital identity becomes the primary one? Mm. And this isn't just a metaverse phenomenon. You know, we've had some kind of digital personas for a couple of decades already. So it's also a question of how much we've already started to make that transition and that made that kind of movement to shifting our personalities online. Mm -hmm. And as well, how much this is priming us for the development of the the metaverse, for virtual environments, and all these other trends that are being labeled under that catch-all of the Internet 3.0. So the starting point for this was uh, an opinion piece on Wired called Welcome to the Great Smushing by uh, Zach Jason, and actually a tweet by Reese Witherspoon, which is not something I get to say on the show too often. 
Reese Witherspoon. Yeah, I'm not being patronising or condescending here. You know, I'm a big fan of Reese Witherspoon, but she doesn't intersect with the show that often. Now, there are a number of high-profile actor entrepreneurs, you know, especially in the digital space. There's Ashton Kutcher, there's Mm. uh, Gwyneth Paltrow. Uh, Reese Witherspoon may be, you know, lower profile as an entrepreneur, but she's arguably more successful than either. According to Forbes, she's the world's richest female actor. She's worth around $400 million. And after producing movies like Gone Girl, uh, Witherspoon founded her production company, Hello Sunshine, which has proved to to, to make far more hits than misses. Uh, she's mm. produced bank-making shows like The Morning Show, Big Little Lies, uh, there's a, a forthcoming Zoe Saldana series uh, from scratch, which I think is going to be on Netflix. So last year, she sold a majority stake in that production company, Hello Sunshine, to a hedge fund backed media group for $900 million, hence that $400 million net worth. Um, just out of interest, have you got any more Reese Witherspoon factoids? Well, she also uh, runs Reese's Book Club, uh, a a literacy and book discussion service, which has over 2 million members worldwide. And more than 40 of the books it's recommended have made it into the New York Times bestseller lists. So she is quietly powerful and increasingly influential. So when she tweeted on the 12th of January that in the near future, every person will have a parallel digital identity, Avatars, crypto wallets, digital goods will be the norm. Are you planning for this? People Mm -hmm. who might not give Mark Zuckerberg or Meta a second thought will have started to think about the metaverse. Do you think she's paving the way for her own um, NFTs or even a Reese coin, perhaps? I mean, absurd as that sounds, it wouldn't be the weirdest thing that's <laughs> happened in the crypto space after the, uh, over the last 12 months. Yeah, that's but, uh, true. Yeah, I definitely say no. I can't see her doing, uh, you know, something like Kanye's Coinye West. Mm-hmm. Um, Ashton Kutcher, obviously, he's scored some big successes with investments. He got in early on companies like Uber and Airbnb. Mm-hmm. But investing early means those companies aren't household names when he makes his move. Uh, As for Gwyneth, Goop is still considered, you know, a bit weird and fringe, probably because the media has uh, seized on the more gynecologically themed products that the uh, site sometimes champions. But this is Reese Witherspoon, you know, this is watching mainstreaming do its work. So if she's asking if people are planning for their lives to go into the metaverse, then that is the direction that we're probably heading in. How does this relate to, uh, how did you phrase it, Uh, smushing? Well, I can't take credit for the term the great smushing, although I'd love to. Uh, In the Wired piece, Zach Jason's central point was that the combination of digitization and the pandemic has pushed our lives and the identities we use uh, in different parts of them together. It's smushed them together. Now, Mm. that statement might seem like a lot, so let me unpack it. You know, we all have these different selves. For example, you and I have personas we use for this show. If you yep. talk to me in in real life without a script, you know, basically I have nothing to say. Um, I, I can prove it. Ask me a question that I'm not going to expect. Uh, what's the worst chocolate bar on the planet? Genuinely, you know, the only thing my brain is thinking about right now is French onion soup. Uh, and, <laughs> and that's kind of the point. Um, the, the format of this show lets me seem a lot smarter than I am. Um, you know, I'm 
lying. Of course, I'm a lot smarter than this show. I'm designing my own French onion soup at an atomic level. Uh, but, you know, we all have those different sides to ourselves that we show with different people. When I'm mm -hmm. talking to clients, I can't be the person I am on these shows. And that's something that new, uh, new clients can find a little bit unsettling because they often know me from the show. So they expect me to go into a room and talk. Whereas I see my role, at least to begin with, as one where I'm there to listen to them. So there's this yeah. juxtaposition. They may assume I'm introspective because, you know, I'm sitting there being dead quiet, but I'm not. I'm watching and listening and finding out what it is they need. And that is a different side of my personality. Is being introspective a bad thing? I mean, it's not really about that good or bad aspect. It's about those expectations. Mm. They've been exposed to a part of my personality before meeting me. And mm -hmm. in that initial meeting, they don't get the part of the personality that they expected to get. Right. So Zach Jake, uh, Jason had his eureka moment uh, about smushing when there was a medical emergency um, at home with his kid while he was in a Zoom meeting. He was put in the position of responding to his child's needs with his Zoom still broadcasting to his colleagues in the background. Now, normally these would be part of our lives that are intimate and separate, but in a work from home world, Zach's professional and personal lives had completely merged. The, mm. Those two things had become one. Mm. Why is it an issue if those different identities do roll into one another? Well, it goes back to what I was saying about myself. You know, not only are we different people in those roles, we have different sets of behavior too. In Zach Jason's case, he was in work mode, but suddenly he was called on to be a father. Now, mm. you know, in normal times, you'd get the call, maybe you were at work and you'd rush over to the emergency room. So you'd have the chance to Clark Kent style, you know, slip off your glasses and put on your hero dad cape. Mm -hmm. But Jason found that he was stuck somewhere between the two. He was both Clark Kent and super dad. And he realized that he wasn't able to do a very good job at being either of those things. What about his kid? Was, was the kid all right? Yeah. I mean, thankfully, um, his baby apparently had one of those uh, non-responsive moments that can be quite common. And a, an EMT on the emergency line was able to give him advice to stabilize the baby until the paramedics turned up. So right. all turned out well in the end. But later on, when he was looking at what his life had become, he saw this convergence of all of his identities. And he came up with this idea, that convergence that he calls the great smushing. Um, isn't convergence in digital culture always a good thing? Well, with digital devices, that's often the case. You know, smartphone, phone, internet camera, music player, work, entertainment, yeah. you know, blah, blah, blah. We don't need to explain that bit. But yeah. with people, it's a, a different story. We're not this singularity that you can represent through a digital device. As much as I often make it sound as though we are, you know, we're not machines. You can't really improve on our hardware and software in a big or very quick way. You know, I'm not going to go into the whole transhuman thing as that will take us on a really long detour, but the things we can do, you know, we can learn, we can reskill, but there's no Moore's law for people. Yeah, our yeah. processing power, if you will, it doesn't improve in that way. We're not made to those specifications. How does this shrinking or this smushing um, limit our individuality? 
Well, I guess that's part of what I want to get into after the break. You know, we've seen this movement across the 20th century to treat workers more like machines. Mm -hmm. So we have a hundred years at least of technology that tries to treat us like machines and then replaces us with machines when technology advances and we fall short. So we have this new reality, the impending metaverse, which we know is happening because Reese Witherspoon is telling us it's going to happen. And this time, we have to filter our personality through those machines. When we come back, are we avatars? Or will our avatars be us? I'll leave that thought with you. Um, you're tuned in to Matt Splained here on BFM 89.9. Beyond Frivolous Mishmash, BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, the business station. I'm Rich Bradbury. Welcome back to Matt Splained. We're looking at the split personalities of our digital existence and the forces that are pushing us to choose a single identity to represent ourselves. Before the break, Matt, we left you with the question, is your avatar you or are you your avatar? Well, I know that sounds like it has an obvious answer, you know, your avatar is you, but in most of the science fiction portrayals, avatars tend to be more kind of dungeons and dragons than kind of real life. You can be whatever you want, you know, you can be a wizard, you can be an elephant, it, it doesn't matter. And certainly on the gaming side of the developing metaverse, that's also part of the attraction. Your identity is only limited by your imagination, and that's kind of always been the case, even with early open worlds like Second Life. Mm -hmm. The person you are doesn't have to have anything to do with the person you become online. And that may work with these fractured and fragmented metaverses and play environments, but that could change if it becomes, you know, this singularity of mm. the metaverse, the place where you spend your work as well as your leisure time. Because you'll need uh, one unified sign-on. Well, partly, you know, how many people are heading into their 30s or even approaching middle age with social media profile names that they chose when they were in their teens. Hmm. You know, signing up as Pirate No Beard might have seemed hilarious when you were 14, but it, it might not represent you in quite the same way when potential employers are checking out your profile for that senior management position. Hmm. Uh, have, have you ever changed the names on any of your social media profiles? Uh I, I don't know if I'm changing it, but I went, I, I, when I created one, I didn't create it with my full name. I went with at uh, Mr. Rich on Twitter. But that's because when I was uh, in China, I was known as Mr. Rich. So, yeah. And, yeah. That, and that follows you, follows you everywhere. Now. Yeah, yes. exactly. I, and I, I changed the name of my Twitter account, not for that kind of reason, um, but because originally it was a company account. But the content was getting to be more about my own comments and opinions. So right. I actually changed it to culture at Culture Mat to make it clear that it is me and not the company that's making all of those atrocious jokes. Uh, and, and that's without getting into the trend of 
you know, things like Finsters, fake mm. Instagram accounts that people maintain to keep up appearances or mm -hmm. to present that kind of uh, whitewashed and wholesome uh, image of their life for, you know, say family members and peers, while they have a real account with the more raw and truthful stuff for their friends, you know, under some kind of uh, pseudonym. Now, mm. In his great smushing piece, uh, Zach Jason quotes uh, a comment Mark Zuckerberg made to the writer David Kirkpatrick back in, uh, I think, 2009, where he said, you have one identity, the days of you having a different image for your work friends or co-workers and for the other people you know are probably coming to an end pretty quickly. Having two identities for yourself is an example of a lack of integrity. Now, oh. obviously, yeah. Now, obviously, Facebook has always had a vested interest in us having that singular identity. Now, I don't know if uh, this is still a view that Mark Zuckerberg holds today. Obviously, like I said, that was from 2009. But given what we've seen to date of Meta's plans to create virtual workspaces within its ecosystem, I think it's reasonable to assume that a, mm. a unified or universal sign-on link to your real-world identity is going to be part of that package. What about that part of the question that says your avatar becomes you? Well, let's go back to the the Finster, the, the fake Instagram accounts. You know, the effect that uh, carefully curated social media profiles have on people has been widely reported. And we know that it puts pressure on people, particularly mm -hmm. younger people, who think this is the kind of life they should be you know, outwardly portraying. Yeah. In a sense, you know, that's already you becoming your avatar. The idea of having to live your best life. You know, I, I don't live my best life. I don't know if you do. Uh, I, I live a, a sloppy life because I'm a normal person. You know, right, I, had a, yeah. I had a smoothie for breakfast and a, a not inconsiderable amount of it slopped onto my t-shirt. There was, you know, no artfully <laughs> lit no artfully lit photo of my blended beverage, uh, largely because it resembles liquid green concrete. Um, but, you know, if I was living my best life, I wouldn't still be wearing the same smoothie stained shirt while we record this. Or maybe, you know, not caring is me living my best life. Right, right, right. If that seems to be the direction that we're heading in, then what harm will it do? I mean, it'll simply be the norm, right? Yeah, but you know, we're not these unified selves. Uh, look at the influence of burnout trend over the past few years. The, the pressure of being on all the time, creating engaging content every minute of the day. Those mm. pressures, you know, are some of the reason that platforms like Instagram are rethinking their policies to publicly show how many likes a post gets. Mm -hmm. Now, as I mentioned earlier, we have these different personalities in different situations. We're essentially different people. You might be the teddy bear at work and the tiger at home with the kids or, you know, vice versa. And I'm sure most of us have been in those situations where we've made the mistake of bringing together different groups of friends that don't know each other, mm -hmm. uh, only for, you know, everything to, to fall flat. You may be the connecting piece between those different groups, but it may not be the same you. So, you know, the, the sparks that make those different groups function may not spark in the same way in that wider context because you're now having to be multiple people in that setting. Yeah, yeah. Is there a, a quantifiable benefit in, in terms of maintaining those distinct identities? 
Well, there does seem to be. I, I got this example from Zach Jason's piece, um, studies by uh, Sarah Geither, uh, an assistant professor in the psychology and neuroscience department at Duke University. Um, her studies have shown that having these different gender identities, um, and they can be grouped around lots of different things, things like your job, your interests, your age, your gender, your race, mm. all the multiple touch points that help to define us as individuals. And these different identities can help us approach and solve problems creatively because it gives you that ability to look above and beyond yourself or your current self and to bring in the experiences or the learnings you've made while you've been in those other personas mm -hmm. so i definitely think we'll be losing something if this you know this smushing if this convergence persists especially if we do allow ourselves just to be defined by these, you know, single cell avatar based uh, identities. Do you think there's anything we can do to uh, stop this slide? Well, I think stopping it is probably the wrong way to look at it. It's about the design of the metaverse itself and what we're prepared to demand and or accept. You know, mm. I'd be quite happy to have the Dungeons and Dragon esque fragmented multiverses. I don't want to see a, a one-stop shop controlled by a mega corporation because I think it will lead us to being treated ever more like machines. So uh, I got this example from a book by Cal Newport. Uh, I can't remember if it's from A World Without Email or one of his earlier texts, Deep Work. But it's that summary of the idea we've used on the show quite frequently. We mentioned it just before the break. In the, the 20th century, you know, production lines in factories were designed on the principles that human workers are like robots. Processes mm. were broken down into smaller and less expert chunks with the human staff working in tandem with machines. Now, mm -hmm. as the machines have gotten more capable, fewer people are needed to operate those production processes or... Alternatively, people are removed from those processes completely. And over yeah. the pandemic, we've seen that process accelerate and reach into the knowledge economy as well with the adoption of all kinds of business and process automation service solutions. Do you worry that our avatars will be training neural networks to eventually take over from us? Well, I think that's definitely a real fear of the direction it could go. And it comes back to the idea that our avatars may do a better job of being us than we do. Yeah. Uh, if, if we're sharing all of this information in these virtual environments, you know, making decisions, problem solving, um, all our team interactions, and this is just on the work side. Uh, but just as important to, to training neural networks are those social behaviors. We're feeding all of this information into these environments where it can be logged and stored and tracked and analyzed. Imagine the power of a centralized database like that for a company like Meta or Microsoft or whoever it might be. You're talking about the greatest data pool in history, billions of people, hundreds of cultures and languages, all mm -hmm. being used to train machines to make better or more human-like decisions. And I do think it will speed up that process of making us uh, irrelevant in a lot of workplace settings. And that brings us back to those questions of, you know, how we live, how we earn a living, how we define ourselves once that, that, that work part of our lives is no longer required. And making us irrelevant in that process. Well, you know, we all love to think that what we do at work is incredibly hard and irreplaceable. And it's that belief, I think, that's in a sense part of our reluctance to accept that 
machines can replace the thinkers as well as the doers. You mm. know, we have no problem accepting the idea that autonomous cars will one day fill our roads. But the sad truth is that most of what we do all day is a lot less complex and requires a lot less computing power than navigating a self-driving vehicle safely through streets with human beings in. Mm -hmm. um, venture capital has bet heavily on automation over the past decade. And delays to technologies like self-driving vehicles are actually likely to see a pivot, especially towards Auto, uh, automation within the metaverse. We've already seen it with companies like Uber and Lyft and by proxy local companies like Grab, branching out, uh, diversifying, if you will, as the likelihood of automated cars on the roads is you know, constantly pushed back and delayed because their mm -hmm. business model isn't necessarily sustainable over the long term when people are drivers. So we've seen those companies entering the logistics spaces, food delivery, grocery supplies, that kind of thing, taking yeah. on e-wallet and finance-related roles, even providing credit and expanding into other areas of, uh, of retail. So the jobs of knowledge workers may be a much lower-hanging fruit for venture capitalists to, to target. And if they do, you may find that your singular, smushed personality may not be up to the task of dealing with those new threats. Interesting stuff. Thanks very much, Matt. Oh, my pleasure. Just uh, nice to exercise my voice after a couple of weeks. It's good to have you back. Of course, you. you can find Matt. You're welcome. You can find Matt, if you're looking for him, on Instagram and Twitter at CultureMatt. You can also head over to CulturePop.com for transcripts of these shows and information about CulturePop and its consulting services. If you missed any part of this show, don't forget you can download it from the BFM website or use the BFM app. That is available in the Apple App Store or Google Play. My name is Rich Bradbury. This has been Matt Splained on Tech Talk on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.